All right. Good morning. Welcome to another Sunday morning. Father, we pray this morning. God, that you would fill us with awe. Father, that we would have another opportunity to see the greatness of your name, to experience the depth of your love, to marvel at your glory and the richness of your wisdom. So this morning as we begin, let's just turn our hearts. Let's actively begin to draw near to him. We want to say, Lord, we need you today. More than ever, Canada needs you. More than ever, Lord, we as a people in this nation cry out to you. We say, Lord, we need you and we want you. Father, fill us with the desperation the deep desire to be with you where you are. Let's seek him this morning like it was the first time. Let's just remind ourselves that we're not here to enjoy the presence of the Lord. We're here to manifest it for those who cannot experience, for those who have not seen him through our worship, through our praise. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to exalt you today. We want to see your glory manifest in this community. Just keep releasing this. Use your words. We are fighting against the knowledge, the knowledge that tries to rise up against the knowledge of God. Atmospheres change when you begin to believe that the words coming out of your mouth are not just describing some obtuse wonder of God, but it's actually bringing life to that expression. It's actually causing that thing to begin to manifest in the room. He inhabits the praises of his people. Your words are prophesying. Your words are making substance out of nothing. Oh God, you are righteous altogether. Heaven is filled with the glory of God. And the hosts of heaven exalt at the wonder and awe of him. And they sing the same words we sang today, saying, all power, glory, and honor be to your name. But they do it in heaven with a conviction the earth has yet to see, with an assurance, with a steadfast knowledge that the inevitability of the subjugation of all darkness is at hand. And what we taste this morning is a shadow of that reality. 
increasing in our midst until such time as the same assurance, the same faith, the same conviction, the same sense of inevitability fills our minds and hearts and words. Then we'll see the glory on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 47 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King over all the earth, and He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom He loves. And then down in verse 8, it says, God reigns over the nations. I want you to, I want you to see that headline right now from the, new, the newsrooms of heaven. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Hear this. reigns over the nations. We proclaim it today to principalities and powers. God reigns over the nations. You know, every time we do something like this, I feel like explaining why we do it, but I'm not going to. But know this, that the atmospheres that lead to salvation, that lead to confidence, that lead to hope, that lead, on the other hand, to discouragement and depression and suicide, those atmospheres are generated by one of two kingdoms. And it doesn't just happen because God is sitting on his throne somewhere. But it happens in the earth because a people believe and begin to speak with their mouth that which they know to be true. Out of your mouth comes the victory that leads to change in other people's lives. Father, I pray... God, in the days ahead, we'll not pull back, but Lord, we'll go further and further into being the instrument, the instrument of your your kingdom coming, the scepter, the extended word of God into creation. Amen. Glorious morning. Glorious morning. So I, I have some things to share with you. And uh, I don't want you to interact with this like it's information. I want you to interact it like it's warmth off a fireplace. Do you know how you interact with warmth off a fireplace? Your mind is not central, right? Your mind is not the, the main uh, interface with that fire, right? Your mind can be part of observing, seeing, enjoying, but really... What's coming off of that, the heat, the warmth, is being slowly absorbed into your being. The Word of God 
is not just information. It is information. There are certainly facts. There's specific things you could itemize out of every scripture. Such and such is true, etc., etc. But the life of the Word of God is meant to be absorbed by your heart. Not first or primarily comprehended by your mind. Because the thing is, our minds are so linear. You know, we, don't, we really can't absorb the depth of something. God is good. All right. That, th- those words, they make a blanket statement. But how many of you know there's a, there's a depth to the goodness of God that cannot be expressed in the flatness of one word, good? And so we use different words to, to deepen the expression of that. But even those fall short. Why? Because truth does not exist It's not isolated to language and words. It is a thing in and of itself that is meant to be absorbed by a part of us that is beyond your intellect. So, Father, I pray today. I pray, God, that we can absorb the power of your presence, your word, your truth, your light, your righteousness. In Jesus' name. I've uh, entitled this message, and uh, yeah, you can celebrate that, (laughs) The Right Fast. I think I called a sermon like this before, but it's one of those things I keep coming back to, because one of my passionate desires is this. I I am believing for a better, not just a better mousetrap, better mousetrap is great, but a better Christian. A better Christian is... What is in our future? You line up all the prophetic words you've ever heard, all the destiny words about what God is going to do in the nations, and the missing ingredient there is the people through which he's going to do those things. That's the missing thing. God has already determined it. He's already said he's going to do it, but it's not going to come to pass simply because God said it was going to happen. That is, he has limited himself to use the agency of mankind to establish his will on earth. That's why he said Jesus has sat down. He sat down. What is he doing? He's waiting. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God until his enemies are being made his footstool. And that's where we come in. That's where, that's what we're coming up to. Do we function in such a way as to bring that to pass. Can we get Jesus to stand up? Can we get him to applaud? Can we get him to finally come? Because the job is done. Not to do the job, but because it's done. And so there's a particular kind of people that God is raising up. And there's so many nuances of what that means, you know. We have to be responsible. We have to uh, take our place. We have to grow in the knowledge of him. We have to persevere for that to happen. So many things. And I'm not going to bore you or distress you with all the different components of that. Because I know some of you are already making lists. Some of us are list makers. I am not among you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, that's a, that's a product of that intellect. We want to, oh, let's itemize. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. God, we say, let destiny unfold in this room. God, I pray 
Lord, let the, uh, the depths of what's in your word. Can I get a little more volume? Depths of what's in your word. Father, just begin to fill this room. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we set aside all of our current ideas of what we think we know. And we say, Lord, give us another glimpse of the depth of who you are. Isaiah 58, 12 says, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is one of those, this is one of those purpose, destiny words that defines, uh, defines when we've reached a particular plateau. We know this because when, when this happens, we know we've achieved some kind of end, some kind of purpose has been fulfilled. And we always latch upon those things, those markers. And so, you know, those scriptures, they tend to represent something like, you know, we, we share this one here. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. All of these, all of these words were, were these marquee representations of plateaus, achievements that are coming, that are coming. But the question is not, are they coming and how close are we and God hurry it up? Is what do we have to do to see that happen? So this was said in the middle of Isaiah 58. The rest of Isaiah 58 is quite disconcerting. Because it is God calling out to his people Israel, the instrument through which righteousness is going to be released into the earth. And he's effectively saying to the prophets, he said, listen, call out the sin of my people. The sin of your people, hey, we're the righteous ones. We're your chosen. Remember, we're, we're, you've espoused us to yourself as a, you know, a chaste bride. We're, we're special in the earth. Yes and no. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Yes, that is your position. Yes, you are, you are critical to achieving these ends. But the problem is, you can't just talk about the finality of the arrival destination and not take the journey. What, what determines whether you arrive at your destination is that you actually get in your car and start driving down the road, right? And so this whole chapter is one big exposure of Israel. One massive report card. One massive evaluation of where are you standing right now? How are you doing? Now, I love the fact that you're here today, today Steve, because, uh, you know, I believe the First Nations are a part of God's mm, protocols in a nation they stand as a representation of how caustic the gospel is to darkness. Hello. Listen. The ultimate measuring tool for the gospel that you have are the Jews. The Jews are waiting for a full gospel. Now, they don't know they're waiting. God has just created an impedance in them that resists until the purity of the gospel reaches a particular threshold and then it overcomes that impedance and they get saved as a nation. 
But also in the nations, God has spread a people, and I believe the first nations are like the first of first nations. They actually represent a challenge not for us to say, well, I don't know what's wrong with you because we've preached the whole gospel, but they actually are a litmus test to whether we have the whole gospel. And that was the, you know, that was, uh, I don't want to get into the history of the Nazis and Martin Luther, but that was one of the things that happened that, that turned Martin Luther off because he thought he had the full gospel. And when the Israel did not respond, he got bitter at them. And anti-Semitism rang anew, sprung up with a, a fresh expression of horror because it was sanctioned by the people of God. So, We've seen that in Canada as well. Missionaries come in with an incomplete gospel to a people so steeped in darkness they need a full gospel. And when we give them half of the equivalent of what they need to get released, then we fault them for not being free. And so there's a wisdom of God uh, in this whole thing where he's created markers along our journey so we, the church, can know where we are. And he not only does that with nations and people groups, he does that with you as an individual. And that's something I pray you all discover, that nobody can stop your ministry. Nobody can stop your destiny except you. The way that God has so configured the kingdom of God is that if you walk in the necessary level of light that's required for you, then you suddenly will come into your own and you will have your space and your role and your authority. It doesn't depend on who supports you. It doesn't depend on who's for you, who's in your corner. So many people are backed up against the wall, bitter against the church, bitter against systems, bitter against uh, all, all these factors, not realizing actually God has already given you everything necessary for life and godliness, everything necessary for your journey. But yeah, you don't understand. I'm a woman and the church is not disposed to women. I don't care who or what you are. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what, uh, what sex you are. I don't care what your history is. God, God has made a way. And years ago, he saved me from a life of bitterness by showing to me when I was frustrated that the church wasn't letting me have the place that God said I could have. (laughs) I realized God said, well, if you just get more of me, Mark, the necessary amount to fulfill that destiny, you will find yourself fulfilling that destiny. So you don't have to worry about who's receiving you, who's blessing you, who likes you, who, who, which families you're intertwined with, you know, Oh, but if I, if only this denomination had, had more people in here who knew me, and you know, if I, if I just was married to the right people in the authority structure, then I could fulfill my, my purpose. I mean, think of all the excuses we give ourselves. Well, if only the church. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Similarly, right now, we have a nation in front of us. We have a province. We have a city. And God has called us to be the light of this region. God has called us to be the vehicle through which he brings the kingdom of God to Canada. You cannot spend your time cursing the darkness. You have to decide that, listen, the manifestation of God 
that there are levels, increasing levels of glory and power that if we could just enter into them, nothing will stand before us. And this is what he's talking about when he gives you a destiny, when he says this is going to be an outcome. He's not using you, giving you that to measure others, it's to measure you. If you walk in what I've appointed for you, you will achieve your end. And there will be nobody else involved in that equation. Just you. That's why it says, you know, it's a long introduction. But that's why it says, you know, nothing's impossible to him that believes. That was always so annoying to me because I, you know, I was always in my self-pity. I would think, you know, church is not nice. People are mean. They don't, rec- they don't recognize who I am. Don't you know who I am? Don't you? Here's some prophetic words. Read these. <laughs> and the Lord would rebuke me again and again. Stop spending your time being resentful of others who you think should have helped you along the way. I, listen, there were times when I was politically driving my ministry, trying to get known, and it was like God was standing in the background. I I know people. (laughs) I I could introduce you to people. If If you think people is what you need, I know some. In other words, he was saying, look it, you can spend your whole life bypassing me by looking to other sources for what you need to fulfill your call and your destiny and your purpose, or you can lean on me. And the evidence you're not leaning on me is that you're angry at others. Whoever you resent is who you thought should fulfill your ministry for you. Whoa. Everybody say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the truth. truth. Okay, so, man, time's going by fast. (laughs) So Israel Israel has this destiny, but they do what we do. They, They interpret it wrongly. They interpret it in the light of what they would prefer. And this is what people do all the time. We all do it. We, uh, we find, we've, we believe that God is on our side, and especially when we enter into conflict with people, we start not liking people, or just, or people don't like us in return, and we say, you know, so we, we, we get in this thing where we want to make sure everybody knows that God is on our side. Israel did this more than anybody. No, God's on our side, and that's why they were always astounded when there were setbacks, like, what's, how could this happen? We're the special ones. And the basic message is this. No, it's not that I'm with you. It's that you're supposed to be with me. And there's a massive difference between me being with you and you being with me. I am calling you to align with me. And when you align with me, everything you do will prosper. So when you don't prosper and things don't go well, then the question is, how are you misaligned? Not, how did the devil get so strong? Because, you know, the kingdom of God is, you know, and the kingdom of darkness, the way it operates, it operates is kind of organic. When you have a magnet and you hold a walk around here, it's going to pull up only metallic objects because it has the innate power to move metals, but not wood. Right? So, so within 
within the fabric of how God has made the kingdom, certain things just automatically respond. The authority of the kingdom brings the world into alignment if, in fact, it is the authority of the kingdom. And so this is essentially what, what God is approaching Israel with. He's saying, listen, uh, yeah, I chose you. Yeah, you've got a special purpose. You know, welcome to the club. Many are called, few are chosen. There's something more. Now for us, we talk about revival. Talk about a moment. You know, we don't necessarily think of our destiny as establishing streets to dwell in, but it's actually compatible. And I don't want to spend time explaining that, but revival will create communities, communities, vibrant communities, safe communities. It will create families where kids can be raised in safety functionally, where husbands and wives know how to love each other and honor one another and create an environment that's helpful. And, you know, the trickle-down effect is, is streets to dwell in. That's always the outcome of the knowledge of God when it's entered into. And so we are talking about revival, and we're, we feel like there's this impending release of God's glory that's coming to the earth. And it's true, it is coming. There is a glory coming, but it's not coming independent of what God needs to do in you. Furthermore, if it's not coming, it's because of you. Now, when I say you, I'm not saying you in particular, but I do own that myself. And, you know, you, you decide at what point to how much responsibility you take on this. You decide along the journey. I don't want to talk about it too much again. There's so much to talk about. You know, but Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is there, he's seeing the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's, he's feeling something from heaven. And the Lord is looking for something. And he feels the longing of heaven. And then he says, he said, the, the Godhead is speaking. and said, whom shall we send? Whom shall we send? And it's like, he's the only guy there. You know, it's, which is a funny thing. It's, and maybe, who knows, maybe in some ways there were thousands of others that could have entered into that moment. But he's saying, he's saying this, who shall we send? And then Isaiah grabs a hold of it and says, Lord, send me, send me. And there are people here today in this room that God is calling you near because he wants you to hear something that's deep in his heart. Kingdom purpose ministry, it's not something you do to pad your, your, your resume. It's the result of an encounter with the divine desire of God that, that, that infuses you with a sense of calling and responsibility that see that this happens. And the beauty of that is, well, there's a plethora of ways we can express it. But we'll just say it's wonderful, it's beautiful. But here... Let me read this other scripture from Isaiah 58. Then I'm going to go through Isaiah 58 because the experience of Israel is identical to your experience today. The, the rebuke, the criticism, the judgment, the evaluation, the sifting that he was wanting to give Israel at that time is exactly what he's doing in your life right now. But this is what it says, Isaiah 58, 8. Listen to this. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Man, what a great promise. 
How many times have you quoted that one in your times of prayer? Lord, you said, then my light will break forth. Lord, you said we were going to do these things. You said that our righteousness was going to establish this year. You said, right? Yeah, but I also said a few other things. Like, for example, then. (laughs) Then your light. So as we read it, we're going to see if and then. If then. God is always an if then kind of a God. So what are those? What are some of those ifs? Now, realize that as you go through Isaiah 58, and I'm going to try not to be too long. But God is asking, he's asking questions because he's testing Israel. He's not testing them to see if they failed because they're already failing. He knows that. But he's testing to, for them to see what he already sees. This is similar to you. The word of God, right? Uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates. What does it do when it penetrates? It divides between soul and spirit. And ultimately, it exposes the intent of the heart. And so this is what God is doing. He's saying, listen, yes, you're called to be a people of light. Yes, you're called to be uh, my, you know, a manifestation of my righteousness in the nations. Yes, I've called you as a pinnacle part, a crowning part of my kingdom in the earth. Yes, I've done that, Israel. I've done that to you. Church, the same thing applies for you. You, you are called to be significant. But you can't hide behind a promise of destiny. You have to take the journey. So this is what he says in verse 1. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I love that. It's kind of the confirmation that we should preach. We should be not sheepish about calling out sin, about calling out self-righteousness. And we think, you know, sometimes as Christians we think, yeah, all that's directed towards the world. No, it isn't. Because again, again, the... The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is at a certain level of density, is at a certain level of intensity here in our midst. And if we're not breaking through the darkness of our city, then what what does that mean? We need more. Think of it in terms of sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid, it's a pretty caustic acid, right? Does it burn through aluminum? I don't know. What does it burn through? Burns through skin, Right? Is it sulfuric acid? Is that the one best choice here? I don't. I'm not a science guy. Anyway, but you know, when somebody says, "Oh, yeah, you just put a couple of drops of that sulfuric acid on here, and uh, and uh, you know, it'll burn through," but if it doesn't, that means you need a larger dose, a purer dose. Well, maybe you got too much water is somehow leaked into your sample, and that's why it's not burning through. And so this is the reality: is that when we don't make headway. And we're sure we've done everything right. Reevaluate what we've done because we haven't done everything right. That's what, the, that's what these promises are about. It said, nothing is impossible to him that believes. And this is what the Lord kept bringing me back to. Because I'd get frustrated like, I believe, Lord, I believe. Well, apparently not. Because nothing's impossible to him that believes. You're frustrated by not being able to move ahead in your life and your ministry. What do you think could possibly be the problem, Mark? Oh, okay. Might be me, I guess, maybe. I reluctantly... See, this is how God held my feet to the fire. 
is how what he wants to do with us as the church. So we just want to say right now, God, we break off every insecurity, every condemnation, all shame. We're here, Lord, because we want more truth, because the truth will set us free. So that's where it starts. So right away, he zeroes in on their, their, their worship. Now, let me pause here again, because last week and the week before, I was talking about this. I was talking about when, the, when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and I made it clear, the judgment seat of Christ is not the white throne judgment. It's not the decision time where God just puts you either into hell or to heaven. This is not that, that thing. The judgment seat of Christ is the rewards phase of the judgment, where God takes all your works, and he puts them there, and he tries them. He tests them with his flame, with, the, with, the, with his glory. He basically asks the question, which things in this pile of stuff are consistent with me? Which things were born of me? Which one, things are undefiled by human ambition and pride and deception? So he says, he says, listen, you know, be careful because you could do a lifetime of service. You're coming, you're presenting it before God, and poof, it's gone in a second. You'll still be saved, he says, but your reward is that you thought you had for your 50 years of, you know, evangelical faith. Gone. As if it never had happened. You don't, what I'm saying is you don't want that. You want to make sure you're doing it right now. Especially if God has given us measuring tools all along the way. Right? And, but here's the thing. The judgment seat of Christ, you've already repented for all the things you've done bad. You spent a life repenting, right? We talk a lot about repentance, right? So you're, you're aware, you know, if, ah, I did that thing. We won't itemize all the things you might do, but I did that thing. I'm sorry for that. Forgive me, God. Oh, God, forgive me. So when you go to the throne of judgment, the the judgment seat of Christ, you're not bringing everything you did because some of the things have been cast into the sea of his forgetfulness you've already repented for. What are you bringing then? All the things you're convinced are going to get you an A. Oh, God, I, I fasted. I prayed. I you know, I was a pretty good uh, this or that. And remember that time I did that? And, you know, you're bringing all these things. I ministered for you. I tithed for 100 years. Right? Bringing all that before the Lord. So all the good things are separated and sifted on a scale that we have no idea could even happen because clearly we thought those things were good. And a certain percentage of those things are going to magically evaporate. We don't have to wait till then. We don't have to wait till we die. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. God has created systems of which I am one in your life to bring fire down on on your life to see what's standing. And this is what he's doing with Israel. So he's he's articulating in verse 3 their mindset. Listen to this. They're saying they're frustrated, right? Things aren't going as good. Hey, we're doing what we're supposed to do, God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Anybody ever said that? God, I've been going to church for months. I've been a part of that community church for years. You know how much money I gave? I'm not trying to make fun of anybody's service. But, you know, we do a lot of whining. (laughs) 
right? We do a lot of self-justifying as though God was not the just judge of all. So they are saying what we do, you know, man, I, I thought I was a pretty good Christian. Did the right things as far as I knew. Maybe not. Can we open our hearts right now? Can we, can we just right now, God, I want to lay down my claim on everything I've done. I want to say, Lord, if you need to go in and reevaluate the foundations of, uh, of my work, my marriage, my, my, uh, my, my service to you, my faith, everything, God, I, I want it purified. I want you to go in. I want you to go in and, on a seek and destroy mission and purify the altar of my faith. That's what we want. And so they say, why are we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? And God, his retort is, well, actually, in the day that you fast, you find pleasure. In other words, you know, you're not really fasting. You're posturing. You're presenting things to curry favor. You are, you are seeking to align yourself with me for some ulterior motive but you're not really doing it for me. Now, I'm not saying to you that anything you've done is that way, but the Lord might be. I just know that I'm surprised again and again and again in my own life how impure my motives can be. He says, yeah, yeah, no, no, you, you didn't really fast. Verse 4, he says, and you exploit all your laborers. So he's talking about people who are, doing unrighteous things while they're fasting. Look at God, look how righteous I am. I've identified three main religious service activities and ignored everything else. Right, Pharisees were famous for doing that. So in verse four, he says, indeed you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. And then he prophesies about a future fast. He says, you will not fast as you do this day. So in the future, what's coming is a, is a right fast, is a correct fast. Though as I purify you, you're going to move into a fast. What you've been doing now that you thought was fasting for me, raising up my hand of glory, yeah, no, no, no. That was all you. That was for your own ends. That was defiled. And that's why I'm not listening to you. That's why uh, there's no reward, acknowledgement from heaven. In verse 5, he moves on. He says, is this the fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head in, bulrush, in a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? So now the Lord again is speaking. Say, listen, you've got your, your lineup. You, you've got your definition of religious service. Well, you go down here and you put out sackcloth and you lay down and say, ah! And you, you, know, you pray this way and do these things. Our whole lives consist of some prescription of service. That we think, okay, this is how you do it if you're a Christian. You come to church and you raise your hands. And, okay, in this church, I guess you've got to occasionally holler, you know, dance, you know, want to do all. But, but the question is, how pure are those things? I'm glad you're doing it. I'm not, I'm not objecting to anything, but God is saying, listen, great, good, good. You stepped out. You did that thing. You even moved your hips in worship to me. You know, you, you not quite a dance, but movement. Hallelujah. One day we'll get you to dance. But, you know, but, but how much of that is born of faith? How much of it is born of unbelief? How much of it is, God, I really need a new car. God, I really need a new job. Okay, I'll lift my hands today. Yeah, that really isn't for me. That's deposit on your new car. 
I'm just the medium of supply for you. <laughs> right? So anyway, there's these layers and layers and layers. That's why the Word of God has got to penetrate your heart and reveal the intent. The purity of your work is decided at intention. And not the intention of your mind, what you believe is sincere Christianity, the hidden intent of your heart that you can't even discern. Are we, are we doing good? So he says, listen, the fast isn't just these outward observances. It's more profound than that. Is this, so again, verse 6, he says, Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo heavy burdens, and let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide from your own flesh? So he said, listen, the purpose of fasting, the purpose of worship, the purpose of seeking me is that something would happen that would set the oppressed, go, set them free, that would liberate people around you. See, we, we, are, we are constantly in the throes of what Israel was. They're so concerned about their position and saying, aren't we supposed to be your righteous ones? And so we, we go to work and we, somebody doesn't treat us like a good Christian. We say, one day, one day, you're going to see that I was right. When, have you ever been so angry at somebody because they mocked you in front of others and they ridiculed your faith and you went back and you said, God, give me justice. And then you pray and fast that they'll fall down at work and break a leg. But you don't tell anybody. You just secretly wish it. Well, maybe not. But you know that, that inclination that one day something calamitous is going to happen in your life, and I'll be there to remind you, you shouldn't have insulted me. What did he say? He said, listen, <laughs> I didn't call you to fast, to align yourself with me. God, I'm such a great, so that you can strike with a fist of wickedness. I want to use you to save them. I want to use you to reach them not pit yourself against them because they didn't honor your who you were, etc., etc. I'm trying to give you an entirely different heart, but self-interest drives so much your religious service. I want to show up with my glory, and and this is the this is where we're at. we're on a trajectory where God is going to show up with increasing glory. But what's going to determine that we enter the next level? The purifying of the intent behind our worship. He says, listen, when you align with my heart and realize I've called you to be the answer to the outcasts and the broken and the homeless, you know, and not just say, yeah, you should have stayed in church. When you align with my purpose, then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What he's saying is, is this. It says, there is a level of glory in me accessible to you, great enough to do all the things that you are hoping will be done for you. The only the only thing that needs to happen is you have to change. 
But like Israel, they're like, God, why we fasted? I've been a Christian for so long and nothing, all the things I've asked for haven't really happened. What are we doing? We're blaming God. We're putting all of our frustration on God. God, how much longer do I have to wait? It's up to you. That's what he's saying. It's actually the ball's in your court. Listen to what he says. After rear guard. This is verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, what yoke, Lord? The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. I heard a great message years ago by Rick Joyner from this very passage. He's saying, listen, one of the great things that binds the church today is accusation. The hostility... The resentments, the judgments, the condemnations that you silently hurl every time the world does not appease your particular need of the moment. You're quick to condemn, you're quick to vilify, you're quick to attack. Yeah, but Lord, these people are genuinely trying to kill me. Well, that's okay. They were genuinely killing me. In fact, in the midst of killing me, and I said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, but that was you, Lord. Yes, and I've called you to be like me. And I put a seed in you of the DNA of that such that you could have that heart. And when you have that heart, and to the degree that you have that heart, an equivalent level of glory will hover over your ministry and life and person. The authority of the kingdom is not just in a, you know, when revival comes, revival isn't an, an event that God has prescribed to happen at a particular date and time. It is the outcome of an obedience of a people that converges with a moment that God saw in advance and said was coming. Everything necessary for life and godliness is right in front of us. Right in front of us. But it's the willingness to allow myself to be thoroughly evaluated by the penetrating eyes of the Lord. That asks the question, oh, you know, you might pride yourself and you weren't as evil as that person in that discussion. But was there any resentment fueling their defensiveness? Or were you... So God is after something profound in us. Why? Because we're coming to this place. There's coming up a generation that are so given to this, they're not going to spend any time licking their wounds and self-pity, wondering, yo, when's my time coming? They're, they're going to realize they are, they are the blockage, and they're going to deal with it. And suddenly they're going to show up on the scene with anointings that you, you wished you had your whole life. Like, and people are going to question. Christians are going to say, God, I've been a Christian 40 years. Why don't I have some of that? So it was always available to you. It was always there. And we got words of what God wants to do in this region. 
And we keep looking to a moment in time that has not yet arrived, but I don't want you to look at a moment in time that's not yet arrived. I want you to say, God, what is it that I'm not yet doing? What is it? What am I, what am I lying about? What am I, what am I hiding from? And that's what he says here. Listen to what he says. He says, he says the pointing and the speaking of, of wickedness. And he says, uh, oh, no, it's up, up further in verse 7. It says, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Now, there's two ways to apply that. Israel had other Israelites that were, you know, hungry and poor, and they weren't doing anything to cover them. But for us, he's saying, listen, you're hiding yourself from your own flesh by denying you're the problem. I, and again, I, I, I do this. I've done this. And I, I, I've hid behind, yeah, but I wasn't the worst one in the equation. And the Lord said, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't move me. Because you've asked to be an emissary of my glory. And so it doesn't matter that you weren't the worst in this conflict. You contributed. If you contribute darkness and tension and anger and hostility into a relationship, I hold you to a higher standard than anybody else. Don't stand here in front of me justifying yourself because they were worse. I mean, didn't you have kids? How did that fly when they did that? Well, he hit me first. Did he hit you first? No, he hit me first. Well, I didn't hit him. He walked into my fist. Right? All these childish ways that our kids try to hide their culpability. We've done the same thing before a holy God. And so I'm not going to read all the verses, but this is, this is the end of this thing. He said, those among you shall build the waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And this is the prophetic language and word for us. There has been a foundation of righteousness in the nation of Canada. There has been deposits. There has been prophetic promise. There has been seasons of peace and prosperity that the world has never known up to this time. And even though there's an ebb, even though there's a a retreat from that righteousness, I'm telling you, if you will let me do this in in your life, I will lay the foundation for a wave of glory, a manifestation of the righteousness of a holy God that will shake the earth. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. If the people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Obviously, there's all kinds of parts to this. All kinds of, all kinds of nuances, implications for us. And we don't need to break it down totally. What we're looking for today is a willingness to look in the mirror. To not be quick to say, oh, yeah, but they, they did this. My friend John Lowndes, he tells this story all the time. 
somebody was coming and being quite wicked towards him, accusing, you know, criticizing and everything. And he was just, you know, struggling with this unfairness of it. And the Lord said to him, never mind the unfairness of it. It doesn't characterize you. But even if there's 5% of what they're saying, that's too much. And so we don't have to defend ourselves against others. Just be ready to recognize and acknowledge what we haven't been willing to look at. Uh, I can tell so many stories. I'm telling you, this is the way up. This is the way to more glory. This is the way to more freedom. This is the way to destiny and purpose. God says, many of you, all of you, are called to this. But whether you step up into that next plateau of light is entirely up to you. But realize a generation is coming that will do this in spades. They will do this fully. And you can be a part of that generation. Or not. But this is why you were born. How do you get how do you get past this stuff? How do you get to the place where I can't even see I can't even see what I've done wrong, but I feel the nuances of truth in this that have exposed my heart. How do I how do I get you to deal with this, Lord, in my life? The Lord says, You gotta really want it. And I don't want to teach anymore, but you go to James 4, because James 4 is the prescription for breaking the logjam of your life. And it says, it talks about a deep longing and a crying out and a, a level of repentance that you're uncomfortable with, especially in our culture. It says, weep, lament, and mourn. Well, I would if I had a good reason to. We got plenty of reasons. We're just not willing to look at the indictments. As well, you know, Jesus forgave me. Not really, not, not if you haven't owned it. Have we really owned the fallenness that created so many plateaus, so many levels of of preferences around people? Like, how else do you call? Yeah, I, I like some people. I, I don't really hate anybody. I just like some people more. Anybody ever said that? Let me tell you, behind the, not, the liking less is resentment, is hatred, is murder, is all the things that God wants to cleanse you from because they're diluting your light. Father, let's stand up together. We're just asking God, God, I want to enter into a new season with you. I want you to leave no stone unturned. God, I want you to begin to show me what lies underneath my preferences, my choices of friends, my social circles, my job choices, everything I'm doing. I, God, I, I now realize 
Everything is suspect. Cleanse your house, Lord. I know for some of you this is a this is an incomprehensibly hard word and you might not be ready for it. That's fine. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness and you are free from shame and condemnation. But there is a, a large cross-section of people in this body who've been stuck for a long time. You've been stuck for a long, long time. And you've done everything necessary to, to raise up the charismatic factor. And you've prayed in tongues with more fervency than you thought was possible. You've attended more meetings. You've given more money. But God is saying, I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. Oh, God, we say, Lord, we want to be the object of change. We want to be the ones that you change today. If you need to go, feel free to be dismissed at this time.